With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Zach's trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside! Oh. A thunderous dunk! And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Town Podcast, part of the Cast Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now live via Zoom is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? Buddy, it's been a while. Things have happened. The team is different than it once was. <laughs> uh, it is exciting. Um, it is a little wild that we haven't potted since all these free agency signings have became, become official. Yep. Um, and we got a lot to hit on. We got free agency. We got summer league. My word, there's it, a lot to hit. This is a, this is a big catch-up podcast for us, and I want to apologize for all of our listeners and viewers uh, that we weren't able to podcast last week. Uh, sometimes life can do to you what Kenny Lofton Jr. did to Chet Holgram, which is body. Um, but you know what? We're, we're going to catch up now. I apologize for that again. But there is another motive, and, and this is a hidden motive for why we didn't podcast last week, Carter. Do you know what this is? No. I, we did we as usual we didn't really do a lot of prep so yeah so the the other motivation i had was the fact that you deprived me of a javel mcgee emergency podcast i wanted to delay as long as possible your sense of fulfillment over finally adding howell netto to the cleveland cavaliers carter i now now let's hear some dulled down excitement that has been worn down with time oh just as excited as the day it happened justin <laughs> Uh, I have just been, I've been such a fan of this guy's game, just a very capable point guard. Like, and obviously Rubio is a tier above among the class of backup point guards, but this is a guy that is perpetually available at the minimum that perpetually starts games for his team, for teams he plays for and doesn't kill them. And like at the minimum starting games for a team and not killing them is 
very important and very valuable, especially at a very kill your teamable position in point guard. Like it's almost like the the Jose Calderon, you know, Cavs legend and current front office member Jose Calderon. Like just one of those guys that really, really reliable and seems to find a way into starting games every single year. Um, I hope that he doesn't start too many games. I hope he doesn't take that personally. Um, but we talked about it on our free agency preview podcast where I said, if you're bringing back Ricky Rubio, you probably need to have a, a contingency plan. And Howell Neto was the name that I brought up, uh, someone that you feel confident that can fulfill that position and be that backup point guard. Now, I, I think there are internal playmaking options and internal growth may uh, resolve that, whether it's Karis Levert, Sexton, growth from Mobley, growth from other guys across the roster. But having a, a backup that takes care of the basketball is a good positional defender. Uh, historically has shot well, even though he didn't uh, last year with Washington. But you know that that shooting touches there. Um, I could not be happier. Like I, I would be happy with Neto being our sole backup point guard, which I, I think is an important component when you're bringing back Ricky Rubio off an ACL tear. I, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. Like, I understand the the value that Ricky can bring on and off the court. Um, I think he's great for their development, but you have to be ready for the possibility that he's not ready to contribute on court in year one. Yeah, let's let's take it back a little bit before we dive further into the point guard. Just do a quick recap, because um, I, I find that that is helpful, just to kind of see the shape of this Cavs roster thus far. They draft Ochai Ogbaji and Isaiah Mobley. Those are the two that they expect to you know, be on the roster this year, and both are signed. Yep. Um, uh, Mobley do a two-way. Then they go out and sign Ricky Rubio, Howell Neto, and Rolo, and uh, and obviously uh, extend Darius Garland on a just monster deal that is very very exciting and you know wholly un- uncontroversial, which I think is very fun. It's annoying yeah. when you have to argue with Twitter about whether a player is worth it. It's nice to have a no doubter for once. Yeah, but yeah, and and I, I think- love the uh, the the speech that Kobe gave too. I thought that was a great video that the Cavs put out, just talking about the significance of, of Garland being kind of the Cavs' first supermax contract and whatnot. Um, and key, key to the castle, baby. Yeah, and I, I think we understand that Evan Mobley probably has the highest ceiling on this team and, and can be that uh, kind of elite franchise player. But it's the nature of the position when you're a point guard and you're the guy running the show. In a lot of ways, you have to be the team's leader. And I, I think Garland has shown that consistently. Like you hear even when Abashi had his introductory press conference, he said the first person to reach out once again, Garland. We heard that last year with Mobley. Uh, he's at summer league. He he seems so involved with all his teammates, and uh, it's it's really nice to to have uh, someone like that. And, and like you said, for the signing to not be controversial at all, like you don't see any pushback on, on social media, and, and fans across the league get it because he proved that he is a really special player last season. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, obviously, just really really exciting. Darius is here for the long term, and you know you really believe that. Uh, in a league where long-term contracts often don't mean long-term presence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do feel like Darius is the kind of guy that wants to stick around for the long haul. But you look at the overall shape of the decisions that have been made. You have a high floor wing that is not expected to ever really develop into a great creator. You have um Obviously, Isaiah Mobley, who is an older second-round pick as well. That wasn't a crazy upside swing, though. I think mm-hmm. 
I, again, I'm very fond of his ability. Then you sign a backup point guard, a backup to the backup point guard, and a backup center, and then lock <laughs> up your franchise point guard. And to me, what this is telling me is a couple of things. Uh, one, Kobe is not as worried about the wing situation as we are. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he probably could have, they could have thrown the whole mid-level at Kyle Anderson if they wanted. Um, they chose not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think ultimately when we were kind of breaking down the post play in loss, it, I, I talked about how Kobe has to choose which lessons to learn from this season, because it's inherently a small sample size with a lot of noise all around it. And you're going to have to make, you're going to have to make a call on, on kind of what you want to address and mm-hmm. what you think is just noise or something that's going to work itself out. And to me, Kobe learned that he he decided this offseason, I am not going to lose a season because a position group got wiped out. Yeah. If yeah. you look at if you look at what this team has, uh, you know, at at the point guard position, which is such a point guard and center are somewhat singular positions. Like you can have a two, a one slash two, and you can have a four slash five, we, but we, the true we've ones seen fours play threes with, with yeah. Larry Markinen. We, we see twos play threes very often. And we're probably going to see a lot of that this year, but you're right. Like point guard the, and center is, is a totally the, different animal. They're kind of singular. When you, when you play, when you have a true point guard on offense, your offense just runs better. When you have a true center, uh, to bang with the uh, with the Jokic's and the Embiid's of the world, it really matters. And while I don't expect Robin Lopez to be in the rotation to start the year, the fact of the matter is the Cavs were one injury away from Moses Brown or Ed Davis all year last year. Yeah, and you know those guys did their their best, but they 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 didn't quite bridge that gap between experienced vet that can be a leader in the locker room and not expect to play that much and still be able to go play 25, 30 minutes as a spot starter because Jarrett's out and you don't want to, you know, bork your whole rotation or you're playing Joel Embiid. And so you kind of look at those two position groups. They're secure. We know the two guard is secure. We know the four is secure. And and while the team you're going to, I know people are going to be thinking, what about the three? We don't have any Jason Tatum stoppers. Why don't we have any wings that are six eight, six nine that are you know, uh, you know that that have that that bulk and the have to guard the biggest wings in the league? First off, that's a problem a lot of teams have. Not a lot of teams have a Jason Tatum stopper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second off, it's a position you can bridge. This team just won forty four games with Lowry Markkinen yep. at the three. Uh, and they have they have enough twos that can swing up to the three and enough force that can swing down to the three that I feel covered there in the sense that I don't think the three position could appreciably affect this team's ceiling in the regular season. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at that's what the Kobe options, wanted to avoid. Yeah. And, and you have to look at what options are available, like what, what players signed, what players ha- have been moved for, like things that you could say maybe the Cavs would have a, a chance to get in on that bidding. And I completely agree with you. Like, I, I think I feel very confident about the way that they've kind of supplemented the talent that's already on this roster. Like, I, I feel really good about the point guard position. I feel good about the center position. I think you mentioned a really smart point about Robin Lopez, where he does give you an option that 
Maybe some days he's not playing, but in certain matchups, like a, against a Joel Embiid, he's going to be someone that you can go out there and, and eat some innings, eat some minutes a, against these larger centers. And maybe that's a game where you want to have Mobley play strictly at the power forward position and and be that kind of roamer, that that uh, disruptive presence. And I, I play the role that I think really makes him special on the defensive end of the court. Robin Lopez gives you that ability. There may be other matchups where you need to play a little bit more guards and, and how Neto gets more of a look. Um, but I, re- I really do feel like you have so many guys that are maybe uh, more of a two, like I, I'd say Abaji is probably more of a two uh, as well as Isaac Okoro. But both of those guys can play at the three. I, I feel pretty confident of that. I mean, Isaac Okoro spent an entire season playing almost exclusively at the three. Yeah, and Abaji. I mean, you look at him at Summer League, and that guy is huge. Like, he's he may not be the tallest wing, but that guy is absolutely built. Like, I don't think he's getting moved off that position. He's got tremendous length. Uh, there, there's a lot of small forwards in the league at his size. There are a lot uh, of power forwards in the league at his size. I yeah. don't understand. I just, I I find this obsession with six eight wings. And like, listen, I care more about a six eight wing for the offense than the defense. Yeah, <laughs> like the the being able to, you know, that's why I'm so, you know, it, so I've been so enamored with Gordon Hayward over the years is because being a six eight small forward that can run a pick and roll is really mm-hmm. value the defense. I mean, how how long do we have to see Draymond be a defensive player of the year candidate at six <laughs> four? <laughs> Carter, you're stealing my bet. We we go away for an entire week, and all of a sudden, you're just lopping off inches off of players' heights and I adding them words for fun. I, I actually I, did it for fun. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you filling in and taking a little bit of my role there. But you're you're absolutely right, and I, I'm pretty sure I said this on the last podcast. My my brain is hazy, but I really do think now, looking at these three signings, that the Cavs are in a position to find out how much you can win now with the pieces you already have. Like with, with the young core, it's going to need to be the driving force. And um, maybe next summer, you're going to have to consider some real win now moves. But I think this year is going to be how much you can win now with the guys you have. And Garland, Mobley, and Allen, we've talked about this before, only played 40 games together last season. Um, I, I think there is the depth here to allow the core members to not have to play too many minutes. Like, I, I think um, just the the competition within these guys that can flex from the two to the three, uh, you, you're going to have to see like uh, a split of minutes because I think there's a lot of guys that are going to be able to earn those minutes. I, I think it's a really, really healthy environment and they're going to be built to maybe sustain an, an injury or two. And you look at further down the roster, guys like Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade, they're probably not going to be in the regular rotation. I, I don't see them being penciled in there, but we've seen that this team can win basketball games with Lamar Stevens or Dean Wade playing significant roles. That's really good depth to have in kind of that 12th, 13th, 14th man in your roster. Um, yeah, I, Lamar I, Stevens, I mean, to put it simply, Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade are not, you know, Moses Brown and Kevin Pangos, where you put guys in in, in situations where you're like, oh, I hope this works. Like, we know it works. Yeah. You know, and Moses Brown gave the Cavs some good minutes this year. It's, 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 it's not to, to denigrate the performance, but there's just a, uh, there was certain, there was a certain lack of control that the team had there. You know, there's a reason they had to go to a guy they signed mid-season to start games for them. And mm-hmm. again, like, you look at so it, let let's just say Lowry goes down. Okay, they have a billion competent uh, 
options that can come in and start at the three. If Evan gets hurt, they can slide Lowry or Kevin into the starting lineup and still keep the train on the tracks. And, you know, I think that this really was, I remember uh, when we were doing our, our spaces uh, during the draft and Trevor Magnotti, dear friend of the pod said that he felt like the Ochai Abaji pick was a vote of confidence in the rest of the core. Yeah. I think free agency has just continued that thesis. They're saying, Hey, we actually think that our top three to five guys are really, really reliable. Mm-hmm. And we we just want to see how we're how we're looking. We don't have to make a big splash right now. And yeah. you know, I, I do think I do think it's fair to take an issue with a few parts of this about of this offseason. I think obviously there's a big name we haven't talked about yet that is, you know, that is lingering. But before we talk about that big name that everyone knows that we're, we're gonna need to talk about, I do want to ask you about the Rubio signing specifically. Yeah. Um, you know, the the you know reportedly got locked up to you know a decent term, yep. uh three-year uh, deal. Three-year deal. And what do you think? Um, because I won't lie. I had some mixed feelings. I, I felt pretty good about it, especially with it being paired with the Neto signing. Like, I, I really do think having Ricky Rubio around, like you could tell the impact it had on the roster. And when you, you kind of look at just the whole situation as a whole, I felt pretty good about the playmaking of this roster to begin with. And that was one of our main topics going into the, the kind of uh, free agency preview podcast that we did. And having Ricky around, having some term on that deal, reportedly having some term on that deal, you know, it it makes me feel better about it because I I think he's maybe not going to be as equipped to contribute on court this season. But I do think that he's going to help you get more out of your playmaking throughout the roster by being there. And I, I think it's a really smart investment in that way. I think it also says a lot about just kind of where this team has come from it and where they are now like you look at the reporting around the time of the ricky rubio trade last year and uh brian i believe it was brian windhorse was talking about there being hesitation about rubio wanting to to be in cleveland and uh whether or not it was going to work out and and for him to now make the decision as a free agent to come back here and uh feel a connection to what this team is putting together to me that that makes a big difference and um, I, I think Neto is a value signing. I think Lopez is a value signing. Like these are guys that I, I don't think are going to cost you a game if they are have to start a game alongside your other starters. Like I, I think uh, they're really good system fits, great value, great veterans on and off the court. Um, so when you look at the signings all in tandem with one another, and sometimes that's the best way to view an offseason rather than analyze each individual transaction, I feel really good about it. And, and Personally, like I'm, I'm just happy to have Ricky here. I, I have questions about what's going to happen with that uh, number three jersey, though. Uh, I think he, he and Karis LeVert might have to fight over that. Uh, you know what? Uh, we'll let them uh, sort that out uh, behind the scenes. <laughs> but I, I think you know, with with Ricky, I think the cons- you know, I think if you're concerned, uh, you kind of say, "Hey, are we just chasing vibes here?" Mm-hmm. You know that you know we've uh, at least I've often made fun of you know NBA writers for you know, overly buying into culture. We, we make cult- fun of heat culture all the time, right? Well, yeah, and buying into culture when culture really typically just means they won a bunch of games. <laughs> and then when they don't win games, they've lost their culture. <laughs> like, yep. like uh, we we pretty, we, uh, as, a, as a basketball commentariat, really, really like to just attribute vibes to wins when oftentimes it's really talent. 
mm-hmm. and and you know strong systems that lead to wins. I, I that, will say, as a fan, and I'm always grateful that I'm able to stay in this lane as a fan. I value vibes so highly. Oh, like, dude, same. Like that. That it, it just helps me kind of form that connection. And I think you're right. Like I, I think to some extent this is, um, you know, kind of committing to the vibes at least this specific signing but i think it's also similar to the abaji pick and and that um, comment you mentioned that trevor made where it's a vote of confidence for the guys that are already here that we feel like we have enough talent even if ricky isn't ready to contribute this year and we feel that the best path forward and the best path to raising our ceiling is by internal growth with these players that we've already committed to these young players that we've already committed to. And we think Ricky Rubio helps that path to those guys re- realizing their ceiling. Um, so I, I really do feel like it's a vote of confidence. I can see the concern uh, with kind of making that commitment to someone coming off of this injury at that age. And there, there's obviously implications that come along with it, but I do feel like this is another vote of confidence in the young talent that's already on the roster. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree that it's a vote in the young comments, but there, it is also a substantial um, bet that Kobe Altman is making that this guy is going to come back and be 90% of what he was. Mm-hmm. When you're at Ricky's level of athleticism, you don't have a lot more to lose. His finishing around the rim had art, was not good last year. Yep. And you worry that there there's going to be... A, just enough more drop off that it goes from not good to catastrophic. And if that happens, then, you know, we're really starting to get a little bit gamey here. Now, with that said, I think that in a world where, where he's playing alongside Colin Sexton and Karis Levert, he's not going to be asked to finish plays as often as he was the first half of the season and in year two, Evan Mobley. So I a hundred percent see the case. I think the reason I, I just were, I just hope that they aren't expecting I hope that they they don't think he was the reason like mm-hmm. it. Cause if Ricky Rubio is the entire reason your season was going so well to start and you, yeah. and you kind of are chasing those vibes, I think you're probably going to be sorely disappointed because we've said it a billion times, this team goes as far as the core trio can kind of carry them. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think was a little challenging about it is the fact that although I'm so thrilled he's here, you did have to sign another point guard on a team who has um, a weird roster glut, you know, like most, you know, two years ago, if you would have told me, okay, they have two non-guaranteed or two guys on, you know, uh, you know, reported to be not super guaranteed deals at the end of their roster. You could just kind of let one go and, you know, it'll all work itself out. But I freaking love Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade. (laughs) Those guys were really important for them last year and will likely be important again this year if they if they have, you know, injury bad luck again. Uh, And, you know, they they just this puts them they're at 15 roster spots right now. Yep. So if they want to bring back Colin Sexton, I'll go ahead and say say, uh, our our dear volume scorer's name. Um, you're going to have to Voldemort or something. What's going on? I, I don't know. I just thought it was fun. You're being fun weird. Bet. I just thought it'd be a fun bet, but I, I, I'm ready to walk it back. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, uh, you know, you're at 15 right now and mm. heading into the year and Colin's still out there in restricted free agency. And now this decision to bring back Ricky Rubio, I think has indisputably put them in a spot where they have to make another call. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's, 
that's a big pill to swallow to make a roster decision for a backup point guard who is only going to play half the year. So like I think it warrants some criticism, especially if they're ro- if they if their road to being able to make room for Colin is a, you know is something that is asset negative for them. I will say this: most rosters do carry three point guards. Like uh, uh, even I get la- it. even last year, we we went into it with Kevin Pangos being being the third point guard. So if Howell Meadows playing that role, I'm fine with that. But I those do- rosters don't also carry four shooting guards. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I I I am still adamant that Ochai Abaji can play a lot of three and and should play a lot of three for us this year. But you are correct. I I mean, it does make a roster crunch, and I think that's part of why I'm kind of like being patient with this whole situation. Um, you look at, at like the lack of information out there about Colin Sexton. It doesn't seem like this is something that's getting ugly and fought radio silent, man. Yeah. It's, it's not something being fought through the media and whatnot. And, you know, like I I think everyone that's listened to the podcast knows how we feel about Sexton, uh, knows that we want him back. I mean, I I got a sex line poster behind me right now. Um, like I'm a, a big Sexton fan, but I also like understand that these things do take time. Um, especially given the situation, like I look at Sexton and me, like when we have our discussions privately or when we talk to Nam or whoever, like when I look at Sexton, I'm thinking of 2020, 2021 Sexton, uh, putting up the numbers he did, how he and Garland grew throughout the year, uh, and, and how their numbers individually got better together. And I, I, I want him back, obviously, but the Cavs have to weigh the entire situation. Like for for every success story, there is a Lonzo Ball where there there's you know even if there are great stretches, there are setbacks, and all of these factors have to go into consideration. Uh, a roster spot obviously needs to be opened up as well. Uh, you you have to evaluate that. Like there's there's no sense taking less if you're moving off of one of the existing players on this roster to open up a roster spot or uh, potentially open up the possibility of a sign and trade, like whichever direction they go, you'd need to open up a roster spot. So I kind of have an understanding that this is something that has a lot of moving parts can take a lot of time. And with big names still available on the free agent, like sign and trade market, whether it's Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton, now Donovan Mitchell, Woj reported today, um, there may be an opportunity to clear up a roster spot by getting involved in one of these deals. There, there's so many moving parts and, and so many things that we can't really know. And historically, this has always happened very quietly that I, I kind of understand that, hey, like it sucks. I would love to have a resolution. It makes it easier to talk about on the podcast. But both sides have to advocate for their side, and there's no real benefit to doing it week one. Uh, I think we're six days into free agency now. Uh, there's no real benefit of doing it now versus three weeks. Like it's just something that you'd really want to have resolved prior to training camp, in my opinion. Yeah, it's one of those things where you, you feel for Colin, who you know I'm sure would love this to get resolved. Um, you know, no, no one uh, wants their free agency to drag out weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is, you know, structurally part of the game, you know, and uh, it, it's going to be really interesting where the, the Cavs have all these different incentives that they have to balance. Like, because if you are uh, of the of the mind that uh, GM should squeeze uh, contracts for every bit of leverage they can get, um. You know, that's that's a dangerous game to play. 
Mm-hmm. Th- this is a keep people happy kind of league. Yep. Um, and you know, you you don't want uh to put the put you know you don't necessarily want to put the nails into someone just because you can. Yeah. But also and, you and don't want to feel like. The- yeah, and I feel like the fact that it's not ugly in the media kind of is at least a positive sign. Like, I understand that there are moving parts, but you're, you're right. Like, you don't want to act completely on sentiment and you don't want to be completely cold with the situation. And maybe this is something that is going to come down to, you know, um, incentives uh, to bridge the gap. Right. And, and that's something that takes time and negotiations. And there's so many factors. And. It was funny. I, I think it was Bobby Marks uh, that mentioned kind of compared Colin's situation to Lowry last year, saying uh, that there isn't value. The teams don't value him. And I was sitting here being like, I thought Lowry was an example of we don't really know which teams value players. Lowry they, fetched a first round pick. Well, kind <laughs> that's, of. Yeah, that's kind of. value. Yeah. I mean, the, the Cavs were willing to move off of Larry Nance Jr., a draft pick and give him a, a long-term deal because they valued him so much. And they were not connected to him once. There was not a, a report of interest. There was nothing there. And reality is right now, you you look at the teams with cap space, it's the Indiana Pacers, who a lot of the reporting suggests are going to use that space on DeAndre Aiden, and the San Antonio Spurs, who do not appear to be interested in winning basketball right now. So if there are other teams that are interested that aren't mentioned and negotiations aren't happening in the media, it can be a Lowry Markkinen situation. Or it could be a situation where the Cavs are working with Colin and they're working towards bridging that gap and finding compromises that work for both parties because they, the biggest difference between Lowry and Colin is the organization has said multiple times, Kobe has said multiple times, we value Colin, we value the young bull, we value uh, the, the fact that he was a big part of turning this culture around and, and um, is obviously someone that the team likes having around. So... Um, it's just the understanding that this can take time. I'm happy we're not doing like a daily radio show where this has to be a topic we and to watch. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I. It's just there's not a lot to talk about. If there's new reporting, obviously we can do that. But um, it's just understanding that these things do take time. And Lowry, like the Lowry signing, I think it took like three, four weeks, but before that occurred, and. You know what? One of the things I love, Carter, honestly, about being a Blue Bomber fan and a CFL fan is like, I have no idea what anyone is paid in that league. Oftentimes, I don't even know what the offseason moves are. I just go into training camp and I'm like, oh, what's the roster? We lost that guy? Oh, it is because we had to make some clearance for someone else and keep these guys. Oh, that's that's fine. Like at, at the end of the day, if it gets resolved this offseason, you go into training camp, he's on the roster. It doesn't really matter if it happened week one or week three or week five. Like I it's it's just we were kind of in a holding pattern right now to figure out what form this situation is going to take. Yeah, and I still expect him to be back. What the nature of how he's back is, you know, the the more germane question, and I yep. understand that. And you know, you you see the reporting about you know how close they are to the tax and all that fun stuff. And you know, we're just gonna have to wait for it to play out. I do think that they. I mean, we know a couple things. We know that in order for him to be back, something has to happen. Yep. Uh, the a roster spot has to be opened up. You cannot carry sixteen rostered players into the regular season you can have up to 20 i believe uh mm-hmm. in in the off season is what the reporting is but you know uh it, they're gonna have to make some hard choices and you know to to put a pin on the ricky thing i do think that's why 
uh, they better be sure they're right with this bet because this is not just signing a player to a contract. It's signing a player to a contract and then a series of moves to account for that signing that you have to, you know, be ready to stand by. I see the case where it works. Awesome. I see the case where it's painful. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if, if you gotta, if you were to attach assets to to get off a salary or something like that, that's, you know, that, that, that has to go into your accounting of the Rubio signing. And Mm -hmm. if, and if it doesn't pan out, then, you know, I think people will rightfully be like, what, what was all this up? Was were the vibes that worth it? But -hmm. again, I think it's just as likely that things work out awesome and, you know, there's no pain at all, but I do think the risk has to be addressed in that signing yeah but you know where there's what was a no risk signing and i know we touched on it a little bit is robin lopez i God. love that guy justin <laughs> <laughs> what a great signing you have a a big who was willing to go sign in orlando knowing that he was second third uh on, you know some fourth or fifth on the big man depth chart at any given time on that team and it was like hey I will, I'm not, you're not going to hear a word from me if I'm not playing. I'm going to be a great role model. I'm going to put my hard hat on every day. I'm going to be teaching Mobley how to set screens. Well, yeah, I'm going to be a social media darling. I'm going to beat up mascots, but when I'm called on, I'm still a really capable center for 25 minutes a game. This guy can play drop coverage. He's smart as hell. He can beat uh, switches in the post with his weird jump hook. Uh, he he's a box out fiend. Do not be fooled by you know relatively low rebounding numbers. Mm-hmm. Lopez brothers across their careers, teams have rebounded better with them on the floor while they pull down five rebounds a game. <laughs> and it's because they box out like crazy and just let everyone else vulture. Yeah, and Russell, I think Russell Westbrook's favorite type of player. I'm sure. And I you know and you look at a guy like that and you look at this team in the Cavs with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, who frankly were not box out fiends last year, yep. uh, to, to, to put it nicely. I think they, I think I th- they, I think Allen did a good job on, on the defensive boards, but he was, yeah. he was solid, but he's still mostly out jumps for boards in my mm-hmm. opinion. Okay. And I, I don't think there's a better role model for these guys than a guy like Robin Lopez, who's yeah. going to, who's going to beat him up on the practice court in a good way. And, you know, really, I think set a good example for them. Uh, as a as a veteran leader um, that, you, you know, I, I just don't think they had that style of player on the roster last year. So it's really, really exciting. I think it'll be nice to be able to throw him in there against the the huge bigs of the league mm-hmm. and save Evan those backup center minutes where he has to guard Nikola Jokic. Wait, wait to battle through that, Jan. It was a burp, actually. I'm drinking an IPA. <laughs> Gross. Um, I know. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I just think it's, I think it's, you know, I wanted a center, you mm-hmm. know, I wanted one. I did. I hated, I, I love Evan as a backup center. I hate that Evan or Jarrett going down means we have to either play, you know, uh, an end of roster two-way type of player or slide Lowry or Kevin to the, to the backup five, where I just think we're just, we're food on defense at that point against a lot of matchups that are smart. Yeah, and even looking at like that Milwaukee game where it was the back to back, I think three games and four nights, Jarrett was out. And then all of a sudden, Garland had no one to screen for him while Drew Holiday's hounding him. Like we yep. saw how, how different that matchup was when the team wasn't exhausted and when Allen was present. Um, it, all of a sudden, that became a lot easier for Garland to handle. And Lopez is a great system fit. And JB talked about it at, at the Summer League game yesterday. 
um, or I, I guess that was two days ago, uh, where, where you're saying we want to have a little bit more offensive versatility. And I, I think supporting pieces like this, uh, having Neto to, to be someone that can run plays and, and set the table is going to allow for off-ball actions. Having more screen setters, guys that know what to do, uh, a skilled dribble handoff, big man like Robin Lopez that rolls hard, that plays hard, that can eat some minutes. Like All of this stuff helps those young guys not have to do that kind of dirty work and really work on expanding their game. So I, I'm really excited about the Lopez signing. Like that's that's as great of a, a backup center signing as I think you can have. Because um, like you said, there isn't going to be necessarily the expectation of minutes, but he's a guy that you feel confident you can go to if you need him to eat those minutes. So that's that's I, I, a really exciting was, responsibility. I think he possible. <laughs> I think he was is the best player that you could sign at that position that would not be bummed that he wasn't in the rotation. Yeah. That is the way I would frame that. That's probably a good argument. And and you know what? I don't want to take Evan off the floor for backup five reps. I think playing in that role is important for his development. So it's just is such a perfect fit. Again, all three guys, Neto, uh, Rubio, and Lopez, all just elite vibes guys, well-liked in the locker room, hard workers. Um, It. Kobe Allman as a type. I'll, I'll, I'll say that much. And, mm-hmm. uh, and well, you know, he, even here's though the thing. Yeah, he, he, here's the thing. Like when, when you mention that you do like Mobley as a backup five, and I, I do too. Like I, I like having one of Jared or, or Mobley on the court at all times. But having these other options you can go to allows you to make tactical adjustments against certain matchups. And I, I think that was something that they had some of last year. And that was kind of reflected in which players they would use to close and things like that. But they didn't have a lot of it. And as the season went on, they had less and less of it as all those injuries occurred. And they kept losing ball handlers and losing all this supplementary talent. So I I think they're in a much better position where you can make those tactical adjustments because you actually have the personnel to execute that. Um, So I, I definitely think it makes a big difference. And while we're on the subject of uh, rotations, a uh, friend of the podcast, Spencer Davies, did a terrific article for Basketball News talking about the sex and situation and had a really interesting uh, excerpt about Ochai Abaji. Uh, he talked to a Cavs source who said there's no real expectations for him. He doesn't have to play or contribute right away. Um, go check out Spencer's work. He, he does a terrific job. But I, I thought that that was an interesting quote. My uh, Shout on- out to you for misquoting Spencer's quote. <laughs> There's really no expectations on him, the Cavs source said. He doesn't have to play or or have to contribute right away. You said there's no real expectations. There's uh, a difference. <laughs> there, there is a difference. You know what? Thank you. Thank you for holding me accountable there. Sometimes my and reading the, could be a little... Uh, that's where that's why I got the journalism degree. That is uh, over my, uh, my left shoulder. Card, uh, if you're watching on again. YouTube. Sometimes you need someone that can carry, and sometimes you need someone here for the vibes. And <laughs> actually, that's that. Kylie's degree. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Never mind. That's not my degree at all. Um, but with that said, go, let's talk about the quote because it's an interesting one. Because some people got real and real huffy about it. Just <laughs> they, they did. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think quotes like this were there with Isaac Okoro, where it's, hey, you know what? Like he's going to have to go out there and earn minutes. And we talked about the glut that the Cavs have at kind of the, the two, three and, and guys that might have to play a little bit out of position to get minutes. Like, I think it's the right thing to say. Like there are legitimate options up and down this roster. Like Karis Levert's there, Isaac Okoro. Uh, you can assume he's going to earn some time. And I think the interesting thing about Abashi, 
is I think he works well with every single combination of guys. I think he works with Sexton, Okoro, Lowry, Lavert. He can either push someone and, and take their minutes, or if they grow and they excel and work within the team concept, he can work alongside those guys. But to start, he's going to actually have to go out there and earn those minutes himself. And I think you look at some of the play in Summer League, and I feel pretty good about his ability to earn minutes. But I think it creates an environment with healthy healthy competition. Because every single person uh, in the locker room that plays at those positions can view Abaji as a threat to take minutes from them. Or is someone that's really going to help them out when they're on the court. And it's going to come down to who develops, who earns the minutes. And I, I think that's... There, there's room for everybody in the rotation, but it's going to come down to what works best within the team context, which I think is the right approach to have. I think this was, in a lot of ways, good old-fashioned expectation setting speak. Yeah. You know, hey, this guy, he's you know he's found money for us, which, by the way, he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't even expecting to have a first-round pick this year. Uh, and you know what? It's also true. It's not saying they don't expect him to make the, t- make the team. It's yeah. just... Hey, if if he's not in the rotation, it's because something else great happened, you yeah. know. And like you know, and I think that I think that I, first off, I do expect Ibaji to be in the rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's such an inherently plug and play player, and has shown enough uh, in summer league, which we're, I'm, I know we're going to talk about that. Um, that you kind of see it with him, and you kind of say, okay, I, I, I I've seen enough that Darius Garland's going to like playing with this kid. <laughs> Um, and I, so I do think he's going to be in the rotation. I don't think he's going to get more than 15 to 20 minutes tops per game early on. Um, and yeah, I I'd say probably uh, like 18 minutes. Did did I lose you? No. Oh, you were so, you were being such an active listener. Yeah, I was. You, you, you're, you looked frozen on my screen and everyone knows about my, my well-established internet issues. No, I'm we're not, not editing this out. I'm I, certainly I'm not making two edits in a pod. No, thank you, sir. Um, but no, I, no, no. Let Let's dwell on this for one second. I am you such a looked so frozen. I am such a bad co-host, and I'm such a bad listener, and I'm so self-involved that me attentively listening to you made you think something went horribly wrong with the podcast. That's a great sign. You were so frozen; it was unbelievable. <laughs> I was looking for any motion. Before I stop down, that's wild. <laughs> anyway, back to the Abaji stuff. I I do think he's not going to play more than 15, 20 minutes a game. There's just too many more well-tenured mouths to feed, especially if you are expecting Colin Sexton to return, which currently I still am, mm-hmm. at least for next year. And, you know, I I, I think it's going to be hard for him to find a role. But what's nice is on nights, he's just not playing well shape. You can just be like, hey, we'll see you next time, buddy. Yeah. We're, gonna, we're just going to go with a nine-man rotation instead of a 10-man rotation today. You yeah. know, so like, and I do think, by the way, in order for Neto, for Neto and Igbaji to play, uh, he probably has to play 10, which is crazy because this is a guy who played eight most of the most of the for big stretches of last year when the team just started dropping like flies. So it'll be it'll have to be an adjustment for JB if he wants to give all if he wants to feed all these hungry mouths. Yeah, and, I, I, uh, I think it's, it's going to have to be I think it's going to have to be 10 and I, I think now there's the personnel for it and I, I think we're actually going to learn more about how he wants to use personnel and how deep a rotation he's going to use because to start the year Garland got hurt in the first few minutes of the season. I uh, played through that Memphis game but then mixed, missed the next two. 
Okoro then missed some time immediately. Then Kevin Love and Larry Markinen went out with COVID. And before the time they got back, Colin Sexton got hurt. We never had a healthy rotation, and, and we don't know how JB would use a healthy rotation. And it's amazing that for a season where we feel like we found an identity, there was a lot of success on the court, there are still so many unknowns. And I, I think that's part of why when you see the free agent signings that they made and, and kind of the bet to see how much can we win now with what we have, I understand needing to do that because there was just so many unknowns last year. And I agree with everything you said about Abaji. He seems like the guy that isn't taking anything off the table on either end of the floor out of all the options there. And that's really, really exciting to me. Yeah. And I think it's probably time to talk about uh, our summer league impressions, Justin, on the back end of the podcast. It's been interesting. We're two games in. By the way, super spread out. It feels like there's five days off between each game. I know that's mm-hmm. not true, but I'm starving for Betcavs basketball. Yeah. Um, what have been your big takeaways, man? Because it's actually, I feel like it's been a pretty instructive uh, summer league so far. I've seen everything that I was really hoping to see with Abaji already. Um, I love the defensive activity. I love uh, the shots that he's taking. You knew going in that he wasn't going to get a lot of easy looks or any easy looks. Uh, we saw that last year. Uh, even with Mobley not being able to have kind of the high-end point guard play that you'd have with Darius Garland. And the fact that he's willing to take those tough shots, like the first three shots he hit in that first game were all very difficult. And he is willing to rise up and attack those shots. We saw him attack closeouts as well, a little bit of that. I still think he's thinking through the game a little too much and needs to develop those counters. But the fact that he is willing to take a tougher quality of shot than he's likely going to get with the big club is a great, great sign. And all the intangibles are there. Uh, he looks huge uh, for his size. Like he's such a big, strong, physically mature player already. And I love the fact that even though he's not getting rewarded for it, he's sprinting down the court every single time. Uh, there, there is no like uh, Garland or Love or, or Mobley looking to headman the ball in the same way, but that isn't deterring him from doing the right things. He's also a really good kind of off-ball screen setter as a wing. I, I think that's something that's underrated. Uh, rebounds well. He just does all the, the little things that I think he's going to need to do if he's going to earn minutes within the rotation. Yeah, I, I've been pretty impressed in a way that is interesting because I, I was kind of... I feel like you watch summer league to see surprises. Oh, that part of their game is more developed than I thought or, or, uh, Oh, that, you know, Oh, that's a, that's going to be a problem at the next level. And I feel like it's kind of been the summer league of no surprises mm-hmm. uh, for the Cavs, but confirmations, yeah. um, you know, I, I feel like, uh, Ibaji is catch and shoot when he has his feet under him all the way, when it's a true catch and shoot, it just feels effortless for him. Yeah. Um, he has he is clearly testing his ability to shoot off off of motion. Yeah. You know, when it's a dribble handoff, um, you know, where he's taken, you know, a, a, a short sprint of six, seven steps. I think it looks pretty pure. Uh when he is doing the the full Danny Green baseline sprint, uh, he is a little bit rougher, to be honest. Um uh he he had you know about as bad of an air ball as you'll see in an NBA game, uh, you know, uh, again, in that, in that uh, kickoff. And it, a lot of it is he just, you know, going to the NBA three-point line is, is a challenge for him. 
right now um, to, to really not have your legs under you. But what's encouraging is he's not going to have a lot of those baseline sprints from three uh, that make this hard on him. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind seeing him take some of those tougher shots too, right? Like, I I think if you look at the season numbers and you look at the player tracking data and he shoots well on, like, open catch-and-shoot looks and that sort of thing, but then also has those movement threes, like, I want to see that be part of his repertoire. And I think in the coming months, you're probably going to see the Cavs work with him on his footwork in those situations. I think there is room for growth in getting him set when he's sprinting off of motion. Uh, I love the, the the shot that he had in this last game where he sprinted to the corner, turned around quickly and, and released. And with how quick that release is, I think it's going to open up possibilities for little counters. Like guys are going to have to close out really, really hard uh, when he's running on the perimeter because he has such a quick release. And that's going to create opportunities for him to have an escape dribble, uh, get into the paint a little bit, and do the dump-off passes that we saw in the last game. Like, Isaac Okoro... Do do the Cavs have good options at the dunker spot right now, Justin? Yeah, they, they usually do. And he seems to make good reads in those situations. It's just, I don't think his ball handling is necessary there to like open up that kind of playmaking and it's very similar to Okoro where I think Okoro needs to work on the ball handling so he's able to take advantage of those opportunities whereas Abaji I think the ball handling isn't as important because of the threat of the jump shot like the yeah the, it, it, the, even Okoro's if Okoro's problem is that well. he doesn't have other either right now Right, right, right. And I think Isaac being able to, you know, move around and open up those opportunities, I think, uh, would be really beneficial and would earn him a lot of minutes. But you look at Abaji, and I think he's as advertised. Uh, he got the endorsement from the GOAT podcast with uh, Ben and Andrew. Uh, they, they have deemed him to be him, uh, while others are not him. Uh, so I think that's a, a good sign as well. And I'm I'm just really excited for it because what I love about Summer League is you get to see the work that players put in between the college season and the combine. And now we get to see, okay, from this point, what happens the next three months working with the Cavs training staff and going through all the offseason stuff that they have for them? What growth is are we going to see before training camp starts? That to me is really, really fascinating. Yeah, it it. I think uh, the thing with Igbaji's, you know, uh, processing speed, it's still not exactly where you need it to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, as DH in our Discord said that, you know, he's making a lot of uh, plays that you think are pretty exciting. Like he threw that skip pass to the corner against Denver. It was just at 0.7 speed. Like, you know, (laughs) against an NBA defense, it's probably a a pick six the other way. Yeah. Um, But, you know, he's still thinking things through for sure. Still thinking things through. And, you know, he's not so comfortable with the wall that he can do it. But I do think his, his playmaking, I would never say his playmaking is good or great. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's making the no-brainer dump-offs to the dumper spot, that the dunker spot that actually really matter. And, like, I think that, you know, that's what you want to see from him, for him to not get just, you know, run off the three-point line and then nothing bad happens to the opposing team. Like, you need to be able to pay, make other teams pay when they sprint at you at the three point line. And I think he's got, he's shown enough that he's going to be able to do that at least some of the time. And that's pretty exciting. Should we talk about Isaiah Mobley just a little bit, just because he is the other rostered player um, that we you know, we, we probably will see get some minutes at some point for the Cavs this year. Yep. What do you think about Mobley? What has anything caught you off guard? What have, what have you observed from him? 
Um, man, is he a good passer? We knew that coming in. Uh, just has a really smart feel for the game. I feel the same way that I felt after the draft with him, where I think it's very clear, like, two-way contract, get some time with the charge, adjust the three-point range, uh, the NBA three-point range. I think that playing opportunity with the charge is going to be very beneficial for him. But it's not hard to envision a path to him being an NBA player as uh, kind of a, a discount Al Horford type that, that can have some range, have some passing, is a very good defensive player as well. Um, I, I, I feel good about the pick. Like I feel good about all of our picks that are competing in Summer League. Even uh, Luke Travers is out there having some fun, doing some stuff that, that looks encouraging for where he was picked in the draft. Australian Drake Kirilenko uh, over here, uh, AK-47 uh, Redux, uh, looking very good. I think Mobley, you can see the the um, he is proof in the pudding of, oh, damn, this three-point line's a lot further out. You yeah. can really see him heaving it up on certain possessions where it's like, and trying to speed up his release when it's like, buddy, you don't need to speed up your release. They're not carding you yet. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I think that stuff hasn't really come, but I think the handles looked really impressive. Um, I think the handle, I think might even be better than Evans right now. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of just comfort, taking it full court and not looking like he's going to get ripped, not picking up his dribble prematurely. Um, and the passing is very, very good and very ambitious. And I think he'll be someone who would really benefit playing with better players around him. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, I think that he hasn't like blown the roof off, but I haven't seen anything to say to dissuade me from my opinion that he was a, a solid pick at 49. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel really good about it. Um, I guess the other cow that deserves some mentioning is RJ Nemhard. Um, Too good for summer league Nemhard over here. This guy yeah. is cooking everyone. Yeah. He, he looks exactly like you'd hope, uh, someone that's, had a lot of experience playing uh like practicing with the big club and uh played professionally with, with the charge like he looks exactly like you'd hope but he he's a good scoring guard and you feel good about that i just love kind of the ebbs and flows of how we feel about these players like even just looking at twitter like there, there was so much kind of uh consternation that oh the Cavs didn't pick uh like a big wing uh they, they didn't address that need and then all of a sudden everyone's ready to cut a bunch of established players from the Cavs to get luke travers out there like uh, it's, he, he's fun. Like it, he's funny. He does good stuff. Uh, he's very raw offensively still. Uh, I, I definitely think, uh, that the plan of draft and stash makes sense, but you, you can see like the fact that he had five blocks as a small forward in his first summer league game and the passes he makes, um, it's really exciting. It just needs some polish on, on the offensive end. Even the passing, like he threw one pass to Abaji at, basically at his shins when he was open the, in the corner. And that the ball placement on that kind of a pass really determines whether or not that's a make a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I think he's shown a lot of flashes. Um, can't shoot at all, clearly. Doesn't want to shoot at all, clearly, right now. Um, and I think, you know, you look at a guy like that, he's probably a jumper away. Yep. From being an NBA player, just given his size and obvious feel for the game. Kind of feels um, like Jetty back in the day. Uh, I mean, I think Jetty was probably a better prospect just because he had a little oh, yeah. bit more I'm, peak I'm, athleticism. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do think that Travers has shown enough where you go, okay, I get why you take a flyer on that guy. And if he turns into something, then you might have something. The guy wants to be the next Joe Ingles, and you kind of see that in his game. Uh, and he's clearly tough as hell. Um, and you know, it's been fun to watch him. So I think it's been a fun summer league so far and I'm only excited to see more. 
I'm excited as well. We're we're at the halfway point of the NBA offseason. Only a couple more months to go, Carter. Uh, I'm, uh, you know what? It's, uh, you know, it, it's going to be here sooner than you think, man. I, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for these uh, last couple games from Summer League. Great. Feels great to be podcasting again, buddy. Uh, great talking, Gaz, with you. There's so much to catch up on, and there's going to be a lot of us for us to talk about in the coming weeks. Big thanks to all of our audience. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cats. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.